Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK, Chimakar Sandu from Toronto in Canada, and it seems that every time, Sandu, we get behind the microphone, there's always something new to talk about. Just when you think we might be settling into a more run-of-the-mill week, you know, we've got two fight night shows back-to-back. We haven't got the, the huge big fight feel that we sometimes have when we're leading up to a pay-per-view or we're coming out of a pay-per-view. You think that this would be kind of a quiet week. It's all gone a bit mad. Everything's gone a bit crazy. Everyone's fouling each other and finding new and inventive ways to uh, to not win fights. And uh, all of a sudden, talking points all over the place, plus a huge piece of breaking news. We've got lots to talk about this week. Mate, like a London bus, where you wait ages for one, and then all of a sudden we get a whole range and a whole bunch of DQs, no contests. And in our case, we weren't waiting for this. We don't want DQs and unsatisfactory ends to fights and illegal knees and DQs and no contest. But yeah, that's what we've got to talk about today. A, a lot of that plus massive breaking news, which uh, we don't normally kind of veer into the world of boxing too much. But when uh, when you have something as big as what we have to react to today, uh, we have to talk about it. Absolutely. We will do that in our in, an, in in what we call our our sandwich portion of the show. We'll stick that we'll stick that in between the uh, the two UFC events that we're going to talk about. And let's just launch straight into what happened on Saturday night at, at the UFC Apex. UFC Fight Night 187 it was or UFC Vegas 21 for hashtag fans out there. Leon Edwards versus Bilal Muhammad was supposed to be the fight that got Leon back in the mix. 20 months, 600 days away from the cage. Leon finally getting back in there, getting himself back in the mix at 170 pounds. And after words from Dana White earlier in the week, a big win away from potentially earning himself a shot at the UFC World to Weight title. He lost the chance to compete against Hamzat Chimaev, who, whose lingering COVID symptoms have, uh, have been a bit concerning, to be honest, and have forced him out of the mix completely for the foreseeable future. We wish him a full and speedy recovery. But stepping up on two weeks' notice, Bilal Mohammed, who's on decent form, I think he's won something like eight out of his last nine or something like that, and uh, looked like it was going to be a decent test. And 18 seconds into the second round, eye poke, game over, no contest. I watched the fight live. I stayed up. I didn't have a tactical nap like I often do. So I stayed up and just plowed through the whole thing, thinking it's an earlier start time for this. I can go to bed at like half three. This is all going to be good. Half three, four in the morning. I went to bed really disappointed because the two fights involving, or two of the three fights involving Brits, and we'll talk about both of those later. um, They didn't go, they didn't go according to plan, did they? And uh, Leon Edwards is now walking away. No better off than he was before he made the walk into the octagon. What was your, what was your reaction to it all as it unfolded, Sandy? Yeah, just absolutely gutted for well first of all when, when the incident went down well actually you know what let me let me start from the beginning the fight started out great leon looked really really good considering the amount of time he'd been away from from the octagon um i thought he looked bigger uh than bilal was aggressive was you know you know pushing the pace uh, he looked really relaxed and confident and comfortable in there there wasn't any of this cage rust or ring rust or any of that stuff going on so he looked really good then the eye poke happens. If the first eye poke, I'm like, all right, cool. You know, it is what it is. But when the second eye poke went down, Simon, the way Bilal Muhammad reacted, I legitimately was so scared and worried 
because we've seen some pretty horrific eye pokes in the past. The one that comes to mind is the one that I think Travis Brown got his finger deep into Fabrizio Vadum's um, eye. There's an incredible image of that floating around online if anybody wants to kind of search for that. And of course, uh, the, the ultimate victim of eye pokes um, that was, you know, really detrimental to not only his professional career, but his life moving forward is Michael Bisping. You know, it's fascinating that and, and incredible that he was literally able to have the the career that he had, especially the, the last few years, you know, winning the championship, literally, you know, with one eye. And he's, he's had surgery and, and that's something that he has to live with for the rest of his life. My brother is blind in one eye, right, uh, since he was a kid. So, listen, when it comes to vision, being able to see things like that, that really um, hits home to me both personally, professionally, just, you know, and it's always, always going to be a danger in this sport, given the the you know, the gloves and how your fingers are exposed. So when Bilal Mohammed reacted the way he did, Simon, I was just really, really concerned and worried for him. Obviously, then the fight ends um, in a no contest, and then we see Bilal Mohammed post a few hours later that he's been looked at uh, at the hospital. It looks like he'll be okay. Thank God uh, for that. And then you can start to really let yourself get into the weeds of what this fight means and, and what Leon say post-fight. And he's talking about a tile shot. And I thought that was just not the right move on, on his part because, you know, you've been away for a long time. Dana White told Caroline Pierce of BT Sport that should Leon win in spectacular fashion, he's next in line. That didn't happen. You want to win. You want to get your hand raised, Simon, you know? And I feel like the best thing these lads can do now, more so for Leon's perspective, is just run it back. Let let Bilal have a few you know weeks or maybe a month or however long he needs off, right? We, we're pretty certain the UFC are going to be going down the path of booking Usman versus Mazdal too, with them most likely headlining uh, the new season of The Ultimate Fighter. So Leon's going to have to try and remain busy anyway. Why not just run it back with Bilal, right? A, 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 an opponent that... You and pretty much everybody else that was paying attention can see that you were doing pretty well in, in that particular bout. Uh, you know, get, take care of that unfinished business, and that keeps you busy and that keeps you in the, in, you know, in the limelight, you know, get, get you booked as soon as possible. Uh, and, and also, most importantly, we just get a conclusion to this particular fight because right now everyone has left the situation feeling very unsatisfactory. Yeah, it, the whole thing was just so unfortunate. I mean, everywhere you look, someone is 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 missing out right so you look at Bilal Muhammad obviously the reaction was the first thing you know the the as you say the way it was blood curdling sort of reaction it told me two things either it was an absolutely awful eye poke which obviously it was or the the way he reacted to it was the way that I would have reacted if I'd been poked in the eye um because I've never really been poked in the eye before thankfully and it's just, I don't know whether, maybe that was the first time Bilal's ever been poked in the eye. And it, you know, the shock of it, the pain of it, the fact that it's your eye, maybe that played into it. I don't know. I mean, Bilal's a professional fighter. I find it hard to believe he hasn't had an eye poke at some point in his career, but maybe he hasn't. Maybe that was his first one. Um, or it was just that bad that it elicited that response. But what, you know, whatever it was, um, you know, it was absolutely, it was hard to watch. It was hard to watch. And I was so relieved, like, you know, just, just as you were when 
it looked like his, you know, his eye wasn't too bad. And, you know, he, he might just have a, a grazed cornea, hopefully, you know, nothing worse than that. So fingers crossed all of that, all of that comes together. Now, the issue with Leon is he's no further along than where he was. Bilal has not had, you know, he's not been able to take the opportunity that he was given. But the thing here is, do you want to know the big winner this weekend? His name is Colby Covington. And let me explain to you why, right? Because if Leon had gone along and fought Bilal Mohammed and got a good solid win, whether it be a stoppage or, you know, just a really impressive win, he would then all in all likelihood be installed as the next man in line. We won't say number one contender because that, that's Jorge Masvidal right now by the looks of it. So, and then that leaves Colby on the outside looking in. But now you've got a situation where Leon, in a lot of people's eyes, needs to run things back with Bilal Mohammed, who, let's not forget, was a standing opponent to replace a guy who wasn't even ranked. No one who's ranked wanted to face Leon Edwards. So from a rankings and a standing in a division standpoint, the, the fight doesn't do a hell of a lot for Leon other than getting back in the mix. Colby Covington must be looking at this and rubbing his hands together. Now, if I was Colby Covington or his manager, I would be on the phone to the UFC straight away saying, give me anybody in the top six. Anybody in the top six. I will fight anybody in the top six in the next three or four months. Because if he does that, and let's say Colby fights a Gilbert Burns, for example, or a Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, who I think is currently unavailable, but maybe in a few months he won't be. He'll be back. If Colby fights one of those two, it does it does a couple of things. Number one, it gets him back in the mix, and it means he's back in the years. He's good graces because he fights. Number two, it takes two potential opponent options off the board for Leon, who wants to fight a higher-ranked contender to make sure that he's there. So I think he wants a title shot, but he also admitted in the post-fight press conference that he, he pretty much conceded he will have to fight again before he gets to fight for the belt. So you then ask yourself, well, who's he going to fight? Fighting Bilal does nothing for him, but he, there is a certain obligation to go back and fulfill, you know, the fight that happened at the weekend. If I was him, I'd want to fight Colby or I'd want to fight Gilbert Burns. Colby doesn't want to fight him. He was offered that fight. He didn't want it. So if you can get the Gilbert Burns fight, that's the best possible fight in terms of positional uh, rankings in the UFC. Beat the guy who just fought for the belt. So go in and fight him. But if he fights Mohammed, which is the most likely thing to happen, Colby should say, give me Gilbert Burns. Because Colby then goes and beats Gilbert Burns. Leon could absolutely smoke Bilal Mohammed, and he's still behind Colby. You see the problem we've got here. So um, I think Leon's in a really tricky spot. Morally and all the rest of it, probably from a process point of view, they're going to want to run that back, right? The UFC are probably going to want to run that back. Bilal deserves to have it run back that fight ended through no fault of his um and leon as the guy who albeit inadvertently caused the stoppage to, of that fight he almost owes it to Bilal to have that fight again let's not forget Bilal stepped in on two weeks notice so everywhere you look leon's being painted into a corner here and whichever way i look at it unless the ufc says no we're taking you out of this situation leon we're going to give you gilbert burns or We've got Colby to agree to a fight on a full training camp and we're going to do the fight in July. Um, unless that happens, I could see Leon being passed over and Colby being the next guy up because Colby versus Masvidal is eminently sellable. A rematch between Colby and Usman 
will do big numbers. It's a no-brainer for the UFC. So Leon's got to really go over and above and make sure that he is above Colby. And I think this weekend is disastrous for that. So I'm really interested to see how all of this shakes out. It's, it's a tricky spot if you're Leon Edwards right now. It really is. And again, I think the best thing you could have done is just kind of come out and immediately said, let us run it back. Because like you, you must have been feeling really confident in yourself with the, the short amount of time that you were in there with Bilal in the first place. And, and you're absolutely right with regards to, I mean, this welterweight division in general has been, you know, apart from the champion, Usman, who's obviously just, you know, basically starting to clear out, um, you know, the division bit by bit. The rest of the pack, they just haven't really fought each other. You know what I mean? In terms of like the, the, the top echelon of that division. And I think it's high time we start to see number two versus number three, number four number, versus number five, you know, things like that. Because then we get some order, then we get some structure, then we're actually going places. I mean, look at Leon. He went from the Tyron Woodley fight, which would have been absolutely ideal, right? To then that fight not happening, to Hamza, who wasn't even ranked, to to, to Bilal. And like, you know, it's just, it's just unfortunate. And obviously, look, we talked about this before with regards to COVID, fighters, availability, and, and things of that nature. But you've got Wonderboy screaming. You've got issues with Colby. It's like, and then you've got Leon now. It's just, it's, it's, it's all unfortunate. But for me, I think the best thing Leon could do right now, Simon, is get this Bilal fight booked ASAP. You know why? Most importantly, you can't control the other variables. You can't control who Colby might fight and how that fight may pan out with whoever his opponent is. The one thing I'm pretty, like, I'm like 99% sure and confident in, in Leon thinking right now is you, you know that you can beat Bilal. You, you, you've had a feel for him already. And the best thing you can do is just get it, get back in there, get your hand raised, do it in an. If he doesn't, if he doesn't eye poke Bilal, I think he finishes him sooner rather than later. That's the way the fight was trending. He was lighting him up, and he was doing really, really well. So, I think that's the best thing that Leon could do. And then, you know, then in terms of the the MMA community, you're back. You've got a win. You're you're riding this incredible win streak. You've got a really, really strong case um, to to fight for the title. And look. It doesn't matter for Leon, doesn't matter for Colby, doesn't matter who you are in that welterweight division right now. Like we've spoken about before, it looks like all the, the, the all trains, all lanes, all paths are headed towards Usman versus Marzadal 2. And we don't know. There's just when that fight's gonna take place, when they're gonna be available past that fight. What if Marzadal wins? Then you've got a trilogy in your hands. So all these guys, I mean. You know, if you're financially settled and you can just, you know, afford to kind of hang back in in the in the in the prime and the peak of your years, cool. But then don't cry about it afterwards when, you know, the rest of the division and other welterweights start to catch up with you in terms of their skill set and others get opportunities just because they've been active. So the best thing these guys can do is 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 try and fight as soon as possible. Hey, listen, and from a fan perspective, Simon, I want to see these guys fight. Right, I want to see Leon fight, you know, multiple times a year, and Colby because it's good for the sport. They're great fighters, and it's fun covering their careers. Yeah, one hundred percent agree. I think the welterweight division, it's not stagnant, but it has definitely slowed. I think all the talk about this this uh, title fight and all the rest of it, and the fact that Leon's been out for as long as he's been out, the fact that the surging new contender Hamzat Chimaev has basically been shelved. Bear in mind, he made such a lightning start to his career. 
all of a sudden his momentum has completely stopped because he can't fight. Uh, Wonderboy Thompson is currently uh, currently out of action and looking to work his way back. So a lot of the key ch- and and Colby's holding out. So a lot of the key chess pieces in that division aren't aren't in the mix right now, and we need to get them back in the mix. And it was a bit like this at lightweight not all that long ago, and now look at the lightweight division. You know everything's happening. Um, we've just seen Tony Ferguson versus Benil Dariush has been booked uh, for USC two sixty two. That's a big fight, one hundred fifty five pounds. The lightweight division is gradually coming together. We need a similar sort of rebuilding job at 170. And uh, my only worry about a quick, in an ideal world, get um, Bilal Mohammed and Leon Edwards in the cage as quickly as possible. The only worry, of course, is it was an eye injury. Eye injuries take a little bit of time to clear up. So it's not like he got buzzed or something and, and you know, they had to, you, you sort of check him for concussion, make sure he's okay. Give him two weeks and then he's good to go. An eye injury might take a little bit longer to clear up. So uh, we just hope that Bilal heals up fully and and quickly. And then, yeah, get it booked. I mean, if 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 you're Leon, I think you just want to get back in there and fight. You know, you fight a cleaning lady at this point just to get in there and, and compete. So we'll see what happens. Um, it will be very interesting to see how it all pans out. The welterweight division, I think it's all going to come to a head in the second half of 2021. Um, from one end of the main card to the other end of the main card, let's talk about the fight that kicked off the main card because we're on the topic of controversial ends to fights and British fighters. We had Eric Anders versus Britain's own Darren Stewart in a fight that I know, I know you were excited about. I was very excited about it. And it was delivering. It was, it was a real sort of back and forth slobber knocker of a fight. Darren Stewart got badly rocked at one point and did a really good job of hanging in there. And Anders was really pouring on the pressure. And it looked like Stewart was kind of kind of weathering the storm, but was up against the cage and struggling to get himself free. He was down on one knee. It was very, very obvious that he was down on one knee. It wasn't a transitional thing. He was down. And for reasons that only Eric Anders could tell us, Eric Anders need him in the head. Um, And it was almost a carbon copy of what we saw a week ago with, with Peter Yan. The guy was clearly down. There was no doubt as to whether he was a grounded fighter or not. And for whatever reason, the heat of battle or whatever it was, the fighter on, on, on the offense had a brain fart and made a major error and it cost them a win because Anders was definitely the man in the ascendancy. Big knee. Stewart wanted to continue, really wanted to continue. Just like we saw last weekend, Sandu, it seemed to take forever for a decision to be made. Herb Dean, who, if, I, if I'm going to criticize Herb Dean for anything, I do feel he is a little indecisive at times. I do think he can be a bit slow to make key decisions. He generally gets the decisions right when he makes them, but sometimes he can be a little bit slow to to uh, to dive in uh, compared with like a Jason Herzog or a Mark Goddard or someone like that who tend to be a lot more a lot more definitive. That one was another weird one. There was, you know, the doctor was getting darrenched. It's almost like Darren Stewart had been pulled over for drunk driving at one point. He was getting him to try and walk in a straight line. I thought he was going to do the 50p test with him next. It was ridiculous. And then the fight got waved off. The doctor, thankfully, uh, realized that this fight couldn't continue. Fight was called off. It was ruled a no contest. Uh, Stewart wasn't happy. Anders, understandably, wasn't happy. Um, What did you make of that? Because the weird thing for me, Sandu, just very quickly, 
this week, in the last eight days, I've seen three fights where we've had a big illegal knee and all three fights finished in different ways, right? We had PTM versus Aljamain Sterling last weekend. Uh, clear, egregious knee to the head. Sterling unable to continue. Ruled a disqualification. On Thursday, there was an event in uh, Bahrain, uh, Brave Combat Federation 47. Um, there was a, a equally egregious uh, knee to the head in that fight. The difference with that one was they gave the guy a bit of time to recover. Decide, you know, the fighter wanted to carry on. They decided he was good enough to continue when he absolutely positively was not at his best. They restarted the fight and he got stopped like seconds later, TKO. And then you had what happened on Saturday where the fight was stopped. The doctor ruled that Stuart can continue and then it was ruled a no contest. So how do we, how do we deal with this? moving forward i mean we've had three different examples in the space of a week where an illegal knee has happened the 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 fighter who's been struck has clearly been compromised one was allowed to continue and got stopped and ended up losing the fight as a result of it the other two the fight was stopped one was a dq one was a no contest the consistency is really tricky to sort of keep track of how did you equate this to what you saw a week ago Oh, God, Simon, here we go again, isn't it? It's like you're in control of the fight, Peter Yan and Eric Anders. Like, it's not as if Darren Stewart was, you know, in, in a position where he was dominating that first round. He was in some real big trouble. And at one point, I thought the referee might have even jumped in and stopped the fight. And, or, or I thought Eric Anders was going to compose himself to get the job done. And the, the illegal knee happens again. Again, same thing as Peter Yan. You're in control of the fight. You're doing well. Just have a little bit of composure. And listen, I think in general, I would love to see some rules change in MMA. Like, I'm down. You know, everyone's different, sign, but I am so down for knees, whether you're, you know, you know, grounded or not. I'm down for soccer kicks. I'm down, down for most things. Um, you're seven. You. Yeah, outside of eye pokes and, you know, nut shots and things like that and, and gouging of the mouth, I'm pretty much open for a lot of things that aren't legal. So, so in the current state of uh, of mixed martial arts rules, but yeah, it's it's weird. Why do why did these things happen in bunches, uh, especially in the high profile fights? Right, it's just, it's absolutely mad. I think Darren Stewart is probably going to look back and think, you know what? I now know what Eric Anders feels like. Um, I perhaps was in a bad spot. I've kind of got away from the situation with the fact that this is ruled a, a no contest. And again, another fight, I think, just run it back. And I think Darren Stewart can game plan for it better. He can be better prepared. Because uh, I thought the Eric Anders fight was a good maybe step up in competition. And, you know, seeing how that first round played out, um, it, I think it was, you know, a, a good step up in competition for, for Darren Stewart. Unfortunate for Eric Anders. Um, yeah, I mean, what are you going to do? And to your point, Simon, regarding Herb Dean. Yeah, that's been a knock on him for, for a while now just a little bit you know um undecisive he lets moments linger on a little bit longer than they should um and, and i know again with, with with travel issues and you know fighters you know referees getting licensed and things like that you know for me you know mark goddard is still number one and he's been number one for, for a for a while now i don't know if you know the ufc are going to have these long residencies in vegas 
can can they get someone like a Mark Goddard out? Or, you know, can the commission get someone like Mark Goddard out and have him... Because at least then, you know, you've got another experienced uh, referee there that could perhaps handle um, the main events. For me, Herb Dean used to be really, really good, but his overall efficiency has dropped. And this is going back, I'd say, the last few years. And look, he's still way better than a lot of referees. Because at the end of the day, you need reps. And the only way you get reps at the very highest level is at the UFC and Bellator. And, you know, you have to be able to make mistakes, own your mistakes, look at the feedback. I'd love for referees, not just in MMA, but in most sports. You know, I saw Jose Mourinho after Spurs lost to Arsenal over the weekend talk about how he'd love for the referees in a, in a roundabout way, he'd, how he'd love for referees to, you know, provide post-match interviews and, and talk about some of the decisions and things like that. I think that would be healthy. I understand why referees wouldn't want to do that, uh, to be in the public limelight, to be under scrutiny, to perhaps lose gigs moving forward. I just don't know how or what a better solution there is to for them at whatever level, whether you're you know, an amateur or pro, a veteran, one of the all-time great referees, there is always going to be room for improvement as things change. And there's always going to be new examples and case studies to look back on and say, hey, you know what, could I have done a better job here? So I don't know what the answer is to that question. It's just unfortunate that these things keep happening at the moment. Yeah, I mean, something that I would love to see, and I, I doubt we will ever see it, but is press conferences for referees after the fights. I mean, we granted when we get to the end of an event it can drag on anyway for people who've ever worked on an event and they're backstage and you go to press conferences and stuff these events could drag in into the middle of the night um even local time so i can understand that there might be a fair bit of pushback even from the media on this but i think from an educational point of view i think it would be good to have a referee who was involved in whether it be a major fight or a fight that had a major incident come and have five minutes press conference. I think there needs to be a, an element of understanding that they're not being brought out to be just grilled every time. I think there needs to be um, an element of education about it. And, you know, hopefully we get to learn more about what it's like to actually be in there and, and refereeing because listening to these guys talk and Mark, Mark Goddard is a prime example of this. You sit and listen to the man talk Um you'll come away having learned something, you know, you'll have a, you'll, you'll have a greater appreciation for, you know, for what it's like to be in there and the amount of professionalism and, and, and seriousness that they bring to it. This is not just a, a weekend gig, you know, they're doing this, you know, because it's their passion and they take it incredibly seriously, just as seriously as the fighters do. So, and I think that would help bring more, more respect the officials way as well. But, uh, yeah, it is kind of weird with, with, with the illegal strikes. And as you say, it is bizarre that we've had three in a week uh, when it comes to the illegal knees. And the eye poke thing has been a long time, a long-term issue with MMA. And there's been talk of can can they come up with a, a glove design that maybe just naturally cur curves the fingers in and all of that sort of stuff. I think at the end of the day, it comes down to technique. And and somehow we've got to stop fighters sort of pouring out with their fingers forward. And it's very difficult to do because it's habit. Um, and uh, that's really hard to do. That is really hard to do. So I don't really know what the overall solution 
to that is when it comes to eye pokes. But fingers crossed we get Anders versus Stewart 2 at some point this year. The size difference in that fight, by the way, Eric Anders looked like an absolute tank. He looked like a, he almost looked like a heavyweight. He looked that big against Darren Stewart. So, uh, no, looking forward to see that one again. Let's just, just we're kind of jumping all over the card here, but let's talk about Davy Grant. We are the Brit Pack. We've just covered two of the three fighters on the card who had pretty unsatisfactory nights at the office. Um, the one man who certainly had a big night was dangerous Davy Grant, who lived up to his, his fighting moniker against Jonathan Martinez, who was pretty highly fancied going into this fight. And uh, Davy Grant looked absolutely superb. He, he did get clipped in the first round and got dropped. But he looked really good up to that point. And then he looked good after that point as well. He, he outstruck Martinez, moved around well, uh, mixed up mixed up his strikes really nicely, worked kicks into his game, and uh, hit Martinez with an absolute peach of a left hook midway through that second round and uh, scored a big knockout win and couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Anybody who's ever... Watch the Davy Grant interview. Anybody, anybody who didn't know anything about Davy Grant, but then saw his interaction with Daniel Cormier in the post-fight interview, well, that tells you everything you need to know. Um, everybody who meets Davy Grant and chats to him just lo just loves the guy. He's just such a nice bloke, such a down-to-earth guy, and he had a long time away from the sport a few years ago, and he's worked his way back, and uh, he's found some form in a really, really competitive division. Massive, massive win for Dangerous Davey at the weekend, Sandu. The real feel-good moment of the weekend for me, and maybe we're a bit biased because we've got a Brit pack, but Simon, that for David Grant is now three wins in a row, his best run in the UFC. He's on form and back-to-back -back knockout victories. It doesn't get any better than that. He's 35 years old. He's worked his way up to a main card. In his post-fight interview, he's talking about trying to work his way up to a main event fight as well. And I think just overall in general, I think everyone that's had any interaction with Davy Grant can only say good things about the guy. And even if you haven't met him, just seeing how he comes across in these interviews, he's just a top guy, top lad. He's kind of guy you want to buy a beer and have a few drinks with at, at your local, you know what I mean? And so super happy for him. Uh, obviously, if things didn't go the way for, for Leon and, and Darren, as uh, as perhaps you know, British fans would have liked. A very unfortunate situation there. But this was the real gem in terms of knockout victories for the British contingent this past weekend. Really happy for him. I'm hoping he can get um, a, a bigger name moving forward. Don't think that the main event situation is going to be um, you know something that he'll get. But if he can stick to main cards, you know what? It's a, you know I don't know how, if, if he's unscathed, but you know, jumping on cards where you've got a Darren Till fighting on the card or, or a Leon Edwards fighting the card, that's always good because you know that BT Sport and, and, you know, the British media are going to give those events some real big coverage. So putting yourself in a position where you can also be involved in that main card would be a good look as well. Yeah, and it was it was nice. Three Brits on the card, all on the main card on Saturday night, which was great. And uh, Davey joined the UFC with a 9-1 and one record and went 1-3 and three at the start of his career. And that included a, a period of about 18 months or so away from the sport um, after his third UFC fight. He came back, lost. And it was like, oh, blimey, what's what's going to happen with him here? You know, um, he then had another year out. And since then, it's been wins all the way. He beat Gregory Popov in Russia, which was a huge win, uh, split decision, but a, a justified win. I remember scoring that fight thinking they're not going to give him this, but he should win it. And the judges did score it for him, which I was 
I was pleased to see. Martin Day, huge KO at UFC 251. And as you say, backing it up in style. Uh, Jonathan Martinez, biggest win of his UFC career. And uh, yeah, it, it's nice to have a feel-good moment to, to come away from uh, a card that had quite a quite a bit of negativity on it, given you know, given the way some of the key storylines played out. Um, that was definitely one of the standout moments. Another one of the standout moments came straight after. And if you had an extended pee break after the David Grant post-fight interview, you'd have missed this. Dan Ige versus Gavin Tucker. This I had a circle around this fight. I thought this was going to be one of the fights of the night. Gavin Tucker is a superb prospect out of Canada. Really looked like he was making waves and making his way up that 145-pound division. But my goodness me, he walked straight into a peach of a right hand from Dan Ige. 22 seconds, lights out, game over, start the car. That was it, done. And Dan Ige, who really needed to bounce back, I think he had a seven or eight fight win streak that he lost when he got beat on the cards by Calvin Cater. So he wanted to bounce back. He bounced back and he went straight back to the guy he's been calling out for ages. And he called out the Korean zombie, which I thought was absolutely spot on. But uh, again, Dan Ige is one of these guys. He he doesn't get the headlines. He's not a headline-making kind of guy. He's, he's quite understated. He doesn't say stuff out of turn. Um, he actually is a manager as well as a fighter. Um, he works for Dominance Fighter Management with Ali Abdelaziz. And uh, he uh, he does quite a lot behind the scenes. And But when he gets in the cage, he's an outstanding fighter as well. And he proved it, handing Gavin Tucker a uh, first-round KO defeat. The funny thing was, Sandu, it wasn't the fastest knockout of the night, which is nuts. Matthew Semmelsberger in the very first fight of the night won by 16-second KO. But even so, that win for Dan Ige was absolutely huge for him. Yeah, I mean, you, you want to talk about the absolute perfect situation here. You get a knockout win within 22 seconds. You come away from that situation completely unscathed. And Dan Ige, and, and maybe perhaps this is you know, a reason why, you know, because he works behind the scenes, because he's a manager, because he works with fighters, because he knows what a promotion like the UFC is looking for, Talk about a money call-out in the post-buy interview. Yeah, Korean Zombie, step up in competition for him, for Danny Gay, someone that's you know going to be ahead of him in, in the rankings, someone that's a name. You've got your marquee value. You know you're going to get something like main card at worst, co-main at best, most likely, with a, with a Korean Zombie fight. Yeah. I mean, the guy gets it, you know, and with a performance like that, why not sign me up for it? Yeah, huge win, huge win for Danny Gay. And I think sometimes people call, you know, they they, they make call-outs and you think, oh, that's a bit of a stretch. That's not going to happen for you. I think that is an entirely plausible uh, match for, for Danny Gay. The Korean Zombie is going to look to have to bounce back. He lost last time out. He's in no position to start dictating who he's going to fight at the moment. So he's going to have to fight someone ranked below him just to steady the ship himself. So Dan Ige is the obvious pick, um, given given the fact he's called him out not once but twice now. So uh, looking forward to see what happens there. Someone else who's going places, just to uh, to wrap up the uh, the main card. Oh, sorry, Matthias Nicolau upset Manel Cap. Bit of a controversial decision. This I thought uh, I thought it was a very close fight. I don't think you could call it a robbery by any stretch. It was a, a very close fight. Um, Funny story behind this, uh, and it's it's very sort of an inside baseball kind of story. On the MMA Junkie staff picks, um, 
Matt Erickson, who is the guardian of the picks, he publishes a, a grid on the MMA Junkie site that shows you who all the staffers have picked. And uh, due to a cut and paste error, um, he said that I'd picked Nicolau when I hadn't. And I spotted it on the morning of fight day. So I DM'd him on Slack and said, no biggie, because I'm doing terribly with my picks this week, or in, in general this year, but I've actually picked Manel Cap. And he said, don't worry, I've got your actual picks here. So we will treat it as if you pick Cap. It's all good. Then, of course, it goes out and Matthias Nicolau wins the fight. I split the season <laughs> and I'm just shaking my head. It wouldn't have mattered what I'd said. I'd have got it wrong one way or another. But, uh, but yeah, that was a that was a close fight. Nicolau, second stint with the UFC. Um, he got, let, I think he got let go when he was like three and one or two and one. He was, he was doing okay. Uh, now he's back, beats Cap, who's now 0 and 2. Former rising champion, joins the UFC, loads of hype, 0 and 2. Um, so expect him to come out all guns blazing next time. But the fight I wanted to talk to you about, Sandu, co main event Ryan Spann, Misha Serkinov, big fight at 205 pounds. Two guys who, in the main, get, get the job done with their submissions. And it was really at least from my standpoint, looking at it, it was going to be, okay, who ha who has the advantage when the fight hits the mat? Well, when the fight hit the mat, it was just Misha Serkinov hitting the mat, and that was it. Uh, Ryan Spann looking really good in the stand-up. The crucial thing with this was he was smart, and he listened to his corner. He knocked Serkinov down, and rather than following him to the ground and diving into Serkinov's guard, and Serkinov is really, really dangerous off his back, he heard his corner, um, the 40 MMA team, told him, let him up, let him up. They let Serkinov back up again. Span goes again, drops him for a second time. This time Serkinov's in a bad way. Span finishes the job. One minute, 11 seconds, huge TKO win. And Ryan Span is now looking at looking at big names as well. He wants the winner, and this is another good call out. He wants the winner of the Jimmy Crew versus Anthony Smith fight, which is coming up uh, in a month or so's time. I think that's a really solid call out. He's looking to work his way up the ladder. He's lost one out of his last nine or something. Um, so he's really he's really in good shape. And uh, I like his style as well. He's a good sort of chilled out, relaxed kind of guy. He's got a good sense of humor and uh, put on a good show on Saturday night. Yeah, light heavyweight is one of these divisions where it doesn't take a lot for you to kind of climb the rankings fairly quickly and put yourself in a position to maybe fight for the title. I mean, you know, with a performance like that over the weekend, you you, you know, going into to the fight, Ryan Spann was ranked 13. He just beat number 11 ranked Misha Serkinov. Ryan Spann in his post by interviews now hoping to get a top 10 ranked opponent. Great call out with regards to the fight between Anthony Smith and Jim Crute. Now, the funny thing is, is Anthony Smith is currently ranked number six. Jim Crute is ranked number 12. So if Anthony Smith wins, he's going to solidify his position as a top 10 guy. And if Jim Crute wins, he'll definitely break in to the top 10 moving forward. So Ryan Spann calling out the winner of that fight makes all the sense in the world to me. He's a big guy. And look, you know, things didn't go well in the Johnny Walker fight. You put that to the side, though. And I mean, going back, what, four or five years now, he's won most of his fights. So someone that I think we should take, you know, keep our eye on, someone that we should be paying attention to, only 29 years old. And you look at the, the top end of the division. You've got Jean Blachowicz, 38. You've got Glover Teixeira, who's most likely going to fight for the title next at 41. If you're a 29-year-old Ryan Spann, you know, and, you know, you've already, you know, started to kind of get a co-main event slot uh, for, for UFC cards, you're in a pretty good spot right now. And I'll tell you what, 
if uh, whoever wins between Anthony Smith and Jim Crew, if Ryan Spann ends up getting the winner of that fight, I think I might be favoring Ryan Spann. I tell you what, he's um, he's improving all the time. Like I said, he's got he's got age on his side as well. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see how his kind of career plays out over the coming months and years. Yeah, there are, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on at 205 pounds. I'm looking forward to seeing how all of that plays out. An interesting little wrinkle to that fight. I didn't know until the post-fight interview with uh, with Ryan Spann. When Ryan Spann got beat by Johnny Walker, do you know who one of his cornermen was? Misha Serkinov. Wow. So there was a there was an element, just a little bit of an element of payback um, in there. So uh, I thought I thought that was kind of interesting. But uh, that pretty much wraps up uh, UFC Fight Night 187. Very quickly, the prelims: Angela Hill beat Ashley Yodi. You, by unanimous decision. Charles Jordan from Canada, good performance in a great fight with Argentina's Marcelo Rojo. Rani Yaya does what Rani Yaya does and submits Ray Rodriguez. Nazrat Hakparas looks excellent at lightweight. He beat Rafa Garcia, who is as hard as a coffin nail. You got JJ Aldrich beat Courtney Casey by a contested split decision. Jin Yu Fry picked up a much needed win against Gloria De Paula, who was making a debut. And the aforementioned Matthew Semmelsberger with a 16-second knockout kicked off the night against Jason Witt. That was UFC Fight Night 187. We will look at the main event that is coming up on Saturday this weekend. But before then, major news, Sandu. Major news from the world of boxing. We're finally getting what we want. We finally are. And this was some news that was broken by ESPN. And Anthony Joshua, Tyson Fury have signed a two-fight deal. And so this is to unify the heavyweight championships. And Joshua's promoter, Eddie Hearn, is the one that broke the news to ESPN's Mark Kriegel. Or Kriegel. I'm sorry if I've mispronounced that name. But this is a fight that I think... Whether you're an MMA fan, you're a boxing fan, combat sports fan, or even just a general sports fan, this is something that you've wanted, especially for the British contingent, right? Two Brits who have been dominating the world of, of heavyweight boxing for quite some time now, who have paved their own you know, path in very different ways, have completely different stories, right? bring something completely different to the table in terms of their style, both in and out of the boxing ring. I mean, you want to talk about big-time blockbuster, box office, boxing. This is what it's all about. Uh, and given the way things have panned out with Deontay Wilder, this is always the fight to make. You know, you, you want to get these guys in their prime while they're hot as hell. And the fact that they signed a two-fight deal tell, obviously tells you that it doesn't matter who wins the first fight. We're going to get a rematch regardless. We can start to speculate, Simon, with regards to where the first fight may take place, uh, you know, which states, countries are open, you know, so whether it's a stadium or an arena, whether it's you know, going to be packed with fans, whether one of those bouts may take place in the UK, et cetera, et cetera. But just exciting, isn't it? It's, it's so damn exciting that this, the, the, the paperwork, the most important stuff, that, that tells you the terms have been agreed to. Now it's all about a date, a location, and let the promotion begin. It's going to be awesome. I mean, the, the biggest knock against boxing as a sport is the fragmentation of it and the politics that are involved. You know, we there shouldn't be an argument over who the best in the world is in each weight class, but because there's 
they call them the alphabet titles, don't they? Because there's so many of them. Um, but what we now have is the two guys who have between them all of the major respected heavyweight championship belts. They're going to go head to head. We are going to get an undisputed heavyweight champion in the world after the first fight. Then we're going to get a rematch. So, and maybe if we get, you know, if they end up swapping wins, we'll get a trilogy fight as well. But what it means is the two consensus best heavyweight boxers on the planet are going to face off. And for so long, we've seen instances where promoters have kept their champions away from other champions. They're protecting their investment. But that can't happen anymore. You know, the, the sport has got too big. These two, these two fighters have achieved everything they can in their own lane. Now... It's the old Highlander thing. There can be only one. They need to go. They need to go head to head. We're going to see. We're going to see who really has got the minerals to hold every single belt. And uh, I cannot wait. I absolutely cannot wait. Stylistically, I think it's fascinating. You got the pure boxer in in Tyson Fury, who loves to loves to work off the jab. He's not a one punch knockout artist. He's sort of death by a thousand cuts sort of fighter. And then you got Anthony Joshua, who's got that. Olympic gold medal for super heavyweight. Um, so he knows he knows how to he knows how to box the old school way as well. But he is a thunderous power puncher. But he has also shown glimpses of vulnerability as well. So I'm fascinated by this. They're very different characters. I like both of them as as characters, and I, I think it's going to make for a really fun build up to the fight. The fight will be absolutely huge. It'll be bigger than anything else boxing can put on. It is the biggest fight in boxing, without any doubt. Forget Canelo. Canelo could fight Floyd Mayweather again. It wouldn't be as big as this this heavyweight boxing fight. This is the one, or the two, because we're going to get at least two of them. So, yeah, I'm absolutely buzzing. I just hope that everything goes well in the lead-up. We don't tend to get the sort of injury pullouts that you get in MMA just because the nature of training is very different. Um, so, fingers crossed, everything goes well on that front. And we get to see not one but two blockbuster heavyweight title fights, and we get uh, we don't want any judging controversy. We just want two good fights, and uh, it's all it's really good news for combat sport, and it's really good news for boxing and for British boxing. It just proves what we've known all along, right? He British heavyweights are the best heavyweights in the world. The two best guys are Brits, and uh, there's no denying there's no denying we are on top of the boxing world right now. We've also got the two best boxing promoters on the planet as well. So, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be great. And it's also a testament, Simon, to just the the, the British boxing scene. Um, you know, I think you know, Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury have really come up, you know, through, I mean, the last, I'd say, what, decade or so, just really through the the ranks, and I don't just mean the, the the promotions, I'm talking about broadcast partners, everything that Eddie Hearn's done with his deal with Sky Sports and building up all of you know his roster of fighters, you know, what Tyson Fury has done in terms of just making sure that, you know, he, he's someone that people should pay attention to. Again, his story is fantastic, but the comeback from where he was in the lowest point of his life to where he is now. But two real products, of British boxing in every sense of the word. And for them to now be on this global stage where everyone is frothing at the mouth, it's just phenomenal. And um, I'm looking forward to it. I know you're looking forward to it. And I know this is a uh, predominantly MMA show, uh, an MMA brand and, and an MMA podcast, but 
you can bet your bottom dollar as the wrinkles of this promotion play out and as we get closer and closer to this particular fight and even then the rematch we'll we'll, we'll cover it as best as can as best as we can because it's a fun thing to cover it's going to be a lot of fun it is going to be a lot of fun and we don't have any dates yet we don't have any locations yet but what we do know is terms have been agreed this is happening and uh that is the first stumbling block and the biggest stumbling block dealt with and uh looking forward to uh learning the details as it all finally gets made fully official and uh yeah I'll be stumping up for the pay-per-view for both of those. Absolutely no doubt about it. Sandu, let's wrap things up this week with a quick look at what's coming up on Saturday. It is UFC on ESPN 21 or UFC Vegas 22 uh, on, on the hashtag. Derek Brunson versus Kevin Holland. This is such a good fight. This is such a fun main event fight. We're going to get it over five rounds. I'm not sure we're going to need all five of those rounds. But you've got Derek Brunson, who has always been there or thereabouts, never quite managed to break into the very, very top level at middleweight, but is a seriously dangerous man. Just ask Edmund Shabazian, who was undefeated, looked like he was on the rocket ship to the stars. Faced Derek Brunson, got stopped. So, And then you've got Kevin Holland, who has come almost out of nowhere, come through the Contender Series. Uh, incredible, infectious personality. You just... Watch the guy fight. He's a hell of a lot of fun to watch fight. He's a hell of a lot of fun to interview and to listen to being interviewed. And he's worked his way right up there. He's got Israel Adesanya's attention. Um, after Adesanya lost to Jan Blachowicz, he chucked in there that Darren Till was the guy he probably wants to face next. But he dropped Kevin Holland's name in the mix. It was almost almost went unnoticed. He He's keeping tabs on what Kevin Holland's doing. This is a big fight for uh, the man who, sometimes, who Dana White called Big Mouth uh, when he came through the Contender Series. so And they got comparable records, 21-7 for Brunson, 21-5 for Holland. It's a good one, Sandu. Which way are you leaning? Oh, I think I'm leaning Holland. And I'm, and I'm, I'm only leaning Holland only because there's something special happening there, I think, with this lad. Given what he did last year, Simon, I think for a lot of people, he was the fighter of the year. He was, you know, the, the definitely the pandemic fighter of the year. I mean, the guy, what, five fights, Five wins, um, just incredible from May to December of 2020. What a, what a phenomenal run that was. And then you've got Derek Brunson, Simon. You know, all, all props to him as well. I mean, he loses to Jacare Souza, loses to Israel Adesanya. I was there for that particular fight at UFC 230 in New York. And then you're thinking, all right, back-to-back losses, maybe Derek Brunson, at, you know, in his mid-30s, that's it. All of a sudden, he's had this kind of bit of a career resurgence. He, he beats Elias Theodorou. He beats Ian Heinish. But then the big one was Edmund Shabazian. A lot of people, even now, still think he's you know, a prodigy. He's going to be a big you know, name and a, and a really good fighter in the future. And that particular fight is something that we see time and time again, where the old get fed to the young. And you know, I think Derek Brunson was supposed to be fodder for Edmund Shabazian. And then Brunson beats the brakes off him in an emphatic fashion. And now he's in a position where fighting, you know, the, for many people, the fighter of the year 2020, you beat that guy, then you're really back into the mix. And so this is a really important fight at middleweight, especially with the, the Till, the Tory fight just a couple of weeks away. We know that Israel Adesanya is coming back down to defend his middleweight championship. We've got Robert Whittaker and Paolo Costa booked as well. So it's a very exciting time for the middleweight division. And I think if 
especially for Kevin Holland, given the momentum he's riding coming out of 2020. If he can win, this is his first main event position, Simon. Very, very important fight just to see how he handles the pressure in the spotlight. I think he'll handle that absolutely fine. He's, he's oozing confidence. But a win over Derek Brunson and then, I mean, you've got beef with Israel Asanya. You've p- potentially got the winner of Till Vittori, which would be a phenomenal step up and a great fight for you as well. Or you've got the winner of Paolo Costa versus Robert Whitaker. I mean, you're only heading in one direction and the trajectory is only going up and up and up. So, yeah, I'm going to be leaning Kevin Holland. I think he's, you know, again, he, he's one of those fighters that, yeah, look, you know, has he lost in MMA? Yes. Has he lost in the UFC? Yes. But he's put it all together. He's still only 28 years of age. And we don't in MMA look at losses like maybe perhaps boxing world does. And I feel like whatever's happened over the last year or so, something's clicked in his game, with his team, with his camp. He's putting these performances together. And in addition to that, what he's doing outside of the cage in his post-fight interviews, he's making a splash. He's getting people's attention and he's got this, you know, beef going with Israel Adesanya. And for Adesanya, wouldn't you want everyone there, you know, in your division, in the top 10, you know, with, with, with a bit of spice? Because you're not going to be going to light heavyweight anytime soon again. You know for the foreseeable future you're going to be staying at middleweight and you want to try and line up as many big fights as possible. And at some point, if Kevin Holland keeps on this path, that could be a big fight. Yeah, I mean, take a look at his run of form. Five in a row, four of them via TKO or KO finish. Um, you know, it's it's been it's been a hell of a run, a hell of a run. Anthony Fluffy Hernandez, Joachim Buckley got the split decision against Darren Stewart, Charlie Ontiveros, and then obviously that incredible knockout from virtually a sitting position against Ronaldo uh, Jacare Souza. So. He's on. He's on a great run of form, and if he beats Derek, uh, yeah, if he beats Derek Brunson, who is kind of like the next, the next step for him, he's taken on the aging legend, who maybe is on the downslide of his career, and he dealt with him. Now he's taking on someone who is in his prime, in Derek Brunson, who has turned back surging prospects in the past. So if he does a similar job on Derek Brunson, then Kevin Holland is, make no mistake about it, a legitimate contender for the UFC middleweight title. Really looking forward to how that goes out uh, in the main event. Very quickly, just running down the card. Gregor Gillespie, Brad Bradell is the lightweight co-main event. That'll be decent. Dontel Mays versus Taito Ivasa. Gustavo Lopez, Adrian Yanez. Max Griffin, Son Kinan. And Cheyenne Bays versus Montserrat Ruiz. So it's not packed with the biggest star names, but we have got a, a full fight card and uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven fight prelim card as well so uh it should be, it's on normal normal time i think uh main card starts 3 a.m uh uk time over here and um in fact will it clocks go back sunday so yeah it might be 2 a.m if the clocks go back at 2 which they normally do this is going to play havoc with everyone but basically usual time usual time uh for uh, any of you uh fellow crazies who stay up late and watch this stuff live but uh before all of that we got three nights of fights from London Sandu. Cage Warriors are bringing us three consecutive nights, uh, all live on Fight Pass. First night is Thursday. That's their trilogy. Cage Warriors, num- uh, Cage Warriors 120, 121, 
and 122. Main event on Thursday is Kent Kalpanen versus Jamie Richardson. Richardson's last outing saw him challenged for the middleweight title and got spectacularly knocked out. One of the most brutal knockouts I've ever seen uh, by, by Matthias Frederick. Um, now he's taking on Kent Kalpanen, who was released by Bellator. Bellator let go of a load of people earlier this year. He was one of them. He's now in Cage Warriors. So that's the main event of that one. Thursday, sorry, that's Thursday night. Friday night, lightweight title fight. Aggie Sadari, current lightweight champion, taking on uh, Donovan Desme from Belgium, who's stepping in on two weeks' notice. Jack Hartwright, bantamweight champion, who surely, surely will get a call up to the UFC if he beats Sylvester Miller and goes 10-0 and and retains his title. And there's also two welterweight championship tournament semifinals uh, that night on the main card as well. And then on the Saturday night, one of the biggest stars to come out of France, Morgan Charrier, featherweight champion of Cage Warriors, is taking on the epidemic Jordan Vucinic, or Vucinic uh, from here in the UK. He got a really good win last time out to earn himself a title shot uh, against Paul Hughes. He's now taking on Morgan Charrier. Uh, Paddy Pimlet returns to action in the co-main event against Davide Martinez. So loads of stuff. If you want to watch stuff on UK time, you've got loads of it. There's a, K- there's a KSW show on Saturday as well, Sandu, with former world's strongest man, Marius Pudzianowski, taking on this massive Senegalese wrestler called Bombardier. Um, that's going to just, just the visual is going to look nuts. There's a Brave FC event on Thursday. There's oh, the one championship have got a, I think it's all kickboxing card, I think, this week. But there's the, if you like MMA or striking or any kind of martial arts, there's more of it this week than you can shake a, a stick at. There's so much going on. And obviously, we've got that uh, Kevin Holland, Derek Brunson fight to wrap things up. And speaking of wrapping things up, that's pretty much where we leave it, Sandu. Absolutely. And you can catch us on thebrickpack.substack.com. You can catch us on our website, thebrickpackmma.com. Of course, we're available on Apple, Spotify, but most importantly, YouTube. We're available on YouTube. It's an audio podcast only at the moment. We're going to be going to, to video very, very soon. But YouTube is where we want everyone to go to. So if you can go to our YouTube channel, subscribe. We're going to be converting everything to video soon. But right now, everything is available there. So if you like listening to audio podcasts via the YouTube app, that is available to you there. You can follow us on Twitter at the Britpack MMA. Simon is at Simon Head on Twitter and at Simon Head Support on Facebook and Instagram. And yours truly, I am at Sandu MMA on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Lots and lots of fights coming your way. Hopefully without the controversy that we've had for the last two weekends, but things are picking up. All the divisions are back in gear. All of the promotions are on their way back. And uh, the UFC, of course, leading the way. Loads of fights this week. Enjoy them, whichever ones you're checking out. And we will catch up with you again next week. Mm